If you have a Bible, go please to the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 19, the Gospel according to Luke, and we're going to begin at verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, we'll have it on the screen here just in a moment. You can read along, or if you'd like to find it on your digital device, you may find it there also. Luke chapter 19, verse 1. As we begin this morning, a new sermon series entitled The Gift. And as we prepare for the celebration of Christmas, the celebration of our Lord's birth uh, and incarnation, uh, we want to be uh, remembering this, uh, this Christmas, what a great gift we have received in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you like to receive gifts? Oh, you guys are being modest this morning. How many of you like to receive gifts? Yeah, if, if you know there's a gift for you in the house, you start searching, right? Suspecting, guessing, shaking that box. Well, God has an indescribable gift that he wants every man, woman, and child to know. That is the gift of his son, Jesus. And the gift of God is most precious and most valuable because it costs us, it costs God his son. And so as we consider this uh, subject, I want you to look at a man uh, in the Bible who received the gift of God. Would you read with me Luke 19 verse 1? He entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. And he was a chief tax collector and he was rich. And Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable to because of the crowd. For he was small in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him. For he was about to pass through that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down. For today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him with joy. When they saw it, they all began grumbling, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of all of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. Because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. I want to speak this morning about the gift of salvation. Father, I thank you this morning for your presence through the power of the Holy Spirit among us. We love your presence and we love you. We ask this morning that you would come and speak to our hearts. We are your children, your kids. Purchased through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we want to hear your voice. And so I ask that you would anoint my lips of clay to preach the word of the living God. And that you would anoint the hearing of this congregation. That they might receive the word of God with gladness in their hearts. We ask that in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. 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 You may be seated this morning. I want to speak this morning about the gift of salvation. The Bible tells us about a man whose name was Zacchaeus. 
And I want to just describe a little bit about his life. And I think uh, if, we, uh, if we take the details that the Holy Spirit has given us in the text, that we might be able to surmise a little bit of what the life of Zacchaeus was like. But I want to begin with the fact that Zacchaeus lived in Jericho. And if you understand or have read uh, the, the, the history of Jericho in the Old Testament, you'll know that Jericho was a cursed city. When the Lord brought the nation of Israel into the promised land, the first city they conquered was Jericho. And Jericho would become the tithe that, that belonged to the Lord. And so the Lord said, this city belongs to me. And anyone who builds on it is going to have a curse on them because this city belongs to God. And so the nation of Israel, over time, they went ahead and they built over the city of Jericho. Although God had forbidden it, they continued to persist in that. And so it was a city that bore the marks of a curse. It bore the marks of a place that God had said, this is a place that I will not bless. And I know that when you think about that, it sounds like a difficulty and maybe it even sounds a little foreign to you. But the fact is that we live in and under the curse of the fall. We live under the curse of sin. And the Bible tells us that we needed to be redeemed from the curse of sin. That's why this morning when I read that Jesus went to Jericho, it excites my heart. Because it lets me know that Jesus goes to cursed places. I don't know if you realize this or not, but Jesus goes to cursed places. And guess what? When Jesus goes to a place that's been cursed, Jesus brings blessing into cursed places. You got to get excited about that this morning because you see your life and my life were under the curse. But then Jesus came to this cursed heart and he brought blessing and he brought hope and he brought joy. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about your life. He came to the place that was, that was uh, forgotten and that was left aside. And he came to that city that bore the marks of rejection because he had a purpose there. You might say, Pastor, I feel cursed. I feel like my whole life is downhill. I feel like I can't get ahead. I feel like I can't uh, get, keep my head above water. Let me tell you, friend, get Jesus in your life because Jesus is the curse breaker. I said Jesus is the curse breaker. He will destroy every yoke and every curse. He comes to Jericho, and in Jericho there's a man named Zacchaeus. Now, the Bible, uh, when you read the Bible, you've got to look for the details. And the Bible here, the Holy Spirit who inspired the, the gospel of Luke, he gives us a detail about Zacchaeus. And the, the, the detail is interesting because we're not given this kind of detail about anybody else in all the Gospels. Uh, this, this detail tells us how tall Zacchaeus was. Now, the Holy Spirit doesn't spend a whole lot of time telling us about how tall the people in the Bible were. But in this case, it says that Zacchaeus was a man of short stature. And I want to just uh, talk about that for a moment because I know a little bit about that myself. I'm not the tallest man um, around, although in my, in my immediate family, I am the tallest. I am taller than both of my older brothers and my mom and my dad. So, you know, that's a good one right there. That's about, uh, as soon as I leave the door of our house, I'm no longer the tallest, right? But, and now my nephews have gotten taller than me, so I don't really have that claim to fame. But my mother was all of four foot eleven. 
She was a, a little lady. And she tells a story. She told me a story that when she went to get her first job, her boss told her, are you standing in a hole? She was so small and, and, and lived with that for a long time. And, uh, and you know, uh, Zacchaeus was like that. He was a short man, a man shortened stature, the Bible tells us. And I think the Holy Spirit reveals that to us because there are, there are some things that go along with a man like Zacchaeus being small. And I think if we could imagine a little bit what his life was like, he was probably the little guy in school. He was probably the little guy in high school too. And then, you know, he got out into the work uh, in the career world and he probably thought to himself, you know what, I want to be a soldier. I'm going to go to the Roman soldier recruiting office and I'm going to sign up to be a soldier because I want that armor and I want that spear and I want that helmet and I want that, that sword. And he went in there and they said, if you want to be a soldier, you got to come up to this mark right here in height. And Zacchaeus was under the mark. They said, sorry, buddy, you can't be a Roman soldier, but you might go down to the, uh, to the personnel office. Maybe they're looking for somebody else over there. And so Zacchaeus goes over disappointed because he wanted to be a Roman soldier, and he couldn't. And he goes into that office. He says, you guys have any jobs around here? And they say, you know what? We have a job that might interest you. It's a job in collections. And, uh, and he said, what kind of job is He said, well, we need you to work for the IRS. And he said, well, tell me a little bit about that. So, well, you're going to be a tax collector. And as a tax collector, you're going to be able to uh, receive taxes for Caesar. And then anything above that that you want to claim for yourself, it's going to be all right. You can make yourself rich by being a tax collector. And so Zacchaeus now gets this job as a tax collector. Now, I think what's really going on here is that Zacchaeus had what is on the street known as the little man syndrome. I ever heard of the little man syndrome? Others call it the Napoleon syndrome. And basically the little man syndrome is that sometimes shorter people try to compensate with their personality for what they feel that they are missing. They feel that they're small in some way and so, and so they try by being loud or violent or boisterous to get, to get people to know, hey, you better respect me because I might be small but I'll hit you. And usually when you run into people with little man syndrome, they easily pick fights. Because they need you to know, I might, be a, 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 I might be small, but I'm a bulldog. But the problem is when you give a man with little man syndrome some authority, now everybody's in trouble. It's like when you were in school and the teacher said, I'm going to go out of the classroom for a little bit, but I'm going to have so-and-so write down names of anybody that acts up. And you just hope she didn't call on the little man in the class because you knew that if she gave the authority to the guy that had the problem, that he was going to be tough. Don't ever make him the hall monitor. Well, when, uh, when Zacchaeus got this job, he got this job, and now he had authority behind him. And so now he was, the, he was the little man, but he had a big job. And not only that, but he was good at this job. So the Bible said that he became the chief tax collector. And so when Zacchaeus came through town, he not only had the, the, the authority and the position, but he had Roman soldiers to enforce his law. 
to enforce his, enforce his collection. And so he, he grew in himself. He grew to those things he wanted. He had authority. He had position. And he had prosperity. But one morning, Zacchaeus wakes up in his Jericho bed. He wakes up there in his big house with his, with his, uh, 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 his beautiful family and his beautiful wife. And he wakes up there surrounded by all of the partying and feasting that a man could have, uh, fine clothes and, and fine wine. And he wakes up and he realizes that he's got all of these things, but he's still small. He realizes that although he has the money and the power and the prosperity and the influence that he is small, nevertheless, can I tell you, friend, that I'm really not talking about short people this morning. I'm talking about humanity. Because you see, all of us have small syndrome. All of us, the Bible said, have fallen short of the glory of God. That's why you got the job, you got the promotion, you got the money, but you still didn't get happy. You still didn't get peace. You still didn't get joy. You, you got all of the things you thought you needed. But like Zacchaeus, you find yourself empty. They tell the story about a gold medal winner in the 1930s. He, he was uh, working hard to win the gold medal, and he believed that if he could win that gold medal, that it would make him happy. And, and just after he ran the race and won that gold medal, they found him sobbing in the locker room. And they said to him, what's going on? Why are you crying? You just won the gold medal in the, uh, medal in the Olympics. He said, he said, I thought this was going to make me happy. But he discovered that after he had, he had gotten the medal and after he had gotten the acclaim and the applause of the people, that there was still a gaping hole on the inside of him that made him small. Can I tell you, friend, that is the condition of all of mankind. All of us are trying to fill that gaping hole, that void in the heart of man like Zacchaeus. He was a small man. Well, not because he wasn't tall. He was small because he didn't have Christ. And you see, friend, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how, how much you can accumulate in life. If you don't have Jesus, you will never have the satisfaction that your soul longs for. Jesus is... The thing that you need, maybe this morning you are short on education or short on knowledge or short on truth or short on money or short on faith. Can I tell you that there is one that can raise you to the level. There is one that can satisfy the lowering, gaping hole of your heart. And so this little man has all these things, but he's still empty, still small, and he heard a rumor one day. He heard that Jesus was coming through town. He heard the name of Jesus and he had never met Jesus. He had never had an encounter with him. There was no relationship. But something about the name of Jesus attracted him. Something about the story of Jesus attracted Zacchaeus. 
It, it made him think, you know what, maybe this is the thing I'm looking for. This is the thing that I'm longing for. Can I tell you, friend, that Jesus is the thing you're looking for. Jesus is the one that you are, you are longing for. This Christmas, many people will open up many packages waiting and looking for the thing that they are looking for. They, they think, well, if I can just get the right gift, if I could just receive the right things, then I'll be happy if, if this guy would just tell me the right words if this girl would just tell me the right thing if I could just get that relationship and they go on and on and then they say preacher I don't understand why I got all of the things but I'm still broken can I tell you friend that you are what you're looking for it's not under a gift it's not in somebody's bed it's not in the in the in the, in the university it's not in the bank account what you're looking for is Jesus I said what you're looking for is Jesus Jesus is the one that everyone is looking for. There's, a, there's a, a verse in the gospel of Mark I love. It says they came to Jesus where he was in a secluded place. And they said to him, Jesus, everyone is looking for you. Oh, how true it is. Everyone is looking for him. Someone wrote in secular music, looking for love in all the wrong places looking for Jesus but they're not finding him because they have tried to find the satisfaction in the, in the world and the world can't give it and so he hears that Jesus is coming through town and, and his curiosity is piqued he wants to see him and we see here the attitude of faith that faith desires faith wants to see God move faith wants to see God do his thing how many of you have some faith here this morning you know, the difference between a miracle and no miracle is desire. Jesus walked past a lot of people in his day, but the only people that got a miracle were the people that had a desire to touch him, the desire to hear him, the desire to know him. Come on, is there anybody in here that has desire? You see, Jesus comes through this house every week, but you, you don't always get it because you don't have any desire. You're just going through a routine. But when somebody walks in that says, Jesus, this is it. If you don't help me this week, I can't be helped. I've got to have you. I've got to have you in my life. Oh, friend, he is attracted. He is drawn to faith. He's drawn to desire. Like blind Bartimaeus, when he heard that Jesus was walking past, he, he said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. People told him, shh, you're interrupting the service. No, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. It's like the woman with the issue of blood. The Bible said she had a thought, if I could but touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. She started pressing through that crowd just to get a touch of Jesus. Is there anybody in this house that says, Jesus, 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 I've got to have your intervention. I've got to have your hand on my life. He wanted to see him. There was a great crowd following after Christ. And he was now one of those people who had joined into the crowd. Some of you came in this morning because you have heard. You heard things are going on at Kingsway Church. You heard that God is changing my friend's life, my spouse's life, my, my cousin's life. You said, you know, that sounds interesting. Maybe that's what I need. 
Can I tell you why you heard that? Because Jesus is walking through this house. Because Jesus is the Lord and shepherd of this church. And if you will but desire him and, and believe in him, he can do that work, that incredible work in your heart, in your life. The Apostle Paul said this. He said, whatever, whatever things were gained to me, I count those as loss for the sake of knowing him. Listen to what Paul says. He says, whatever things were gained to me. You know what that means? That means that all of the things that I thought I needed in order to be happy became like rubbish. They became like trash the moment I found Jesus. Did you hear me this morning? I said, the moment I found Jesus, the thing you thought, the thing you thought would fill you, the day you got it, you realized couldn't fill you for long. But then you saw Jesus. And friend, Jesus is the one that fills. Jesus is the one that satisfies. Jesus is the one that is more precious than anything. And so Paul says, whatever things were gained to me, I count them as rubbish, as garbage. For the sake of knowing Christ, I want to know him. Paul's expression is my expression. I want to know him. Tell me about Jesus. That's why so many people have, have gotten uh, disgusted and they, they've walked away from church because there's preachers in the pulpits talking about everything but Jesus. And the heart of man says, I need to know him. Tell me about Jesus. I'm here today to preach Jesus to you. I want to know him. I want Jesus. And so he started trying to see him. But the problem was, he was short. You can imagine the crowds there, and he's hearing Jesus speak, and he's hearing miracles happen, and there he is trying to catch a glimpse. It's like when you're at a parade, you're in the back row, and the, 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 uh, the, uh, the little guys on cars, I forget what they're called, shiners come by. You want to see them. What's going on over there? I remember he's a, politician. He's a man of influence, a man of means, a man of money, but he's, he's trying to catch a glimpse. What's going on? Everybody can't see. So he gets in his mind, I've got to do whatever it takes to get to see Jesus. And so the Bible said that he went and he climbed a tree. You see, there comes a moment in your life when everything that you thought, the dignity, the honor, the respect, all that stuff that, that you say you can live without, that day comes when you get so desperate for a miracle, so desperate for a breakthrough that you just say, you know what, I don't care if my makeup runs. I don't care if my hair gets uncombed. I don't care if who sees me. I've got to get to Jesus. I have got to get to the house of God. Come on, somebody. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what anybody thinks. Oh, how many people have been kept away from the altar because somebody's going to say, oh, we saw him at that church. We saw him crying at that altar. Well, he's gotten some religion now. Oh, let me tell you, friend, it's not religion. We've got Jesus. I don't care what any man says. I don't care what any man thinks. Let me have Jesus. Put all those voices aside. He climbs a tree. He gets a glimpse. And there he is. Amazing. The rumors were true. This guy is fascinating. 
as he's watching. He got the best seat in the house. Balcony, first row. Mezzanine section. Jesus walks by. And he looks up. And Zacchaeus says, oh my goodness, he's looking at me. It's like you guys do when you sing. I think the pastor's, I think the pastor's talking to me. <laughs> How did he know? It's like he was there last Friday when I did what I did. I wasn't there. The Holy Ghost was there. I said the Holy Ghost was there. And friend, when Jesus looks at you, there ain't nowhere to go. Jesus looked at him and he said, Zacchaeus. Wait a minute now, preacher. You just told me they never met. Zacchaeus had never met Jesus. They didn't write letters. They didn't have any correspondence. They hadn't shared any text messages or emails. How does Jesus know Zacchaeus? How does, and this is what's going through Zacchaeus' mind. Whoa, this guy knows my name. I'm here today to tell you that God knows your name. And did you hear me? I said God knows your name. Come on. God knows your name. President Trump doesn't know your name, but God knows your name. I may not even know your name, but God knows your name. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about the God who knows who you are, and he knows what you need. He, he, you know, it's just like when Moses was out in the wilderness minding his own business, shepherding his father-in-law's sheep, and there was a burning bush, and out of the bush came a voice and said, Moses, Moses. The terrifying reality that God knows me. But you see, it's, it's kind of terrifying and it's also comforting at the same time. It's terrifying because I realize, wait a minute, he knows who I am. He knows what I've done. He knows that I'm a tax collector. He knows that I'm a sinner. That's the terrifying part. But then I'm comforted by the fact that he knows me and yet he calls me. He knows me and yet he loves me. Hallelujah. He knew him. And yet he called him. Zacchaeus, I've got to go to your house. Wait a minute. What a comfort to know that he knows. I don't know if you realize this this morning or not, but God knows. He knows that you are here this morning. He planned it. Because he loves you. Because you are important to him. Because you are valuable to him. You say, wait a minute, preacher. You mean I'm important to God? Friend, you're so important to God that he sent his son to die on the cross for your sake. You're so important to God that he gave the treasure of heaven, Jesus Christ, to save you. When I was a boy, my parents used to sing an old Dallas home song that said, He knew me, yet He loved me. It's easy to, some, to love somebody you don't know, isn't it? You imagine what they're like. When you don't know somebody, it's easy to fall in love with them because you just imagine what they're like. They, you, you think that in the morning when they wake up, they look angelic, just right, fresh out of bed. 
You think that when they, when they are, are in, a, in a fix, they're always gentle and polite. It's easy to fall in love with somebody you don't know, but it's a lot harder to stay in love with somebody you got to know. Come on, somebody. It's getting quiet in the house. It's like, wait a minute. Now I know you. Now I know what you look like. I know what you smell like. I know what you sound like. He knows me. And yet he loves me. Zacchaeus, I've got to come to your house. Come down from there. Now, this is what we see. Zacchaeus is surprised by joy. He quickly comes down from that tree, that, that perch, because he has been called by Christ. Can I tell you, friend, that there is one who's calling you this morning. There is one who's drawing you to himself. Saying, Come. Come down from there. I've got to go to your house. And then he says to Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to your home. Can you say that with me today? You know that this is the gift of God. Salvation is the gift of God. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sinners death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Through Christ Jesus our Lord. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says, If for by grace we have been saved through faith, and that not of ourselves. Why? Because it is a gift of God. The Apostle Paul, in 2 Corinthians 9, 15, he calls it the indescribable gift. You know that for 2,000 years, preachers have been ascending to pulpits trying to describe this gift. Thousands upon thousands and millions of sermons have been preached trying to describe this gift and we have yet to do it justice. It is the indescribable gift of God. It is the gift that words cannot tell, songs cannot tell. It is the gift of God's love toward mankind. And it is a gift for today. Listen, today. Salvation has come. Some people have faith for tomorrow. Someday. Someday God will do it. Someday God will show up. Some people have faith in yesterday. Like Mary, she said to Jesus at the graveside of Lazarus, she said, Lord, if you had been here yesterday... My brother would not have died. She said, you're late. She had a yesterday God. Martha said, Jesus, I know that someday in the resurrection, Lazarus is going to live again. She had a tomorrow God. Jesus said, no, ladies. I am the resurrection and the life. I am today. Today, salvation has come to your house. Can I tell you that this is a prophetic word for you this morning? Today the blessing of God has come to your house. You didn't hear me. I said today the blessing of God has come into your house. You don't have to wait for tomorrow. Today is a day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. This is the day which God has purposed. And then we see that it is a complete gift. He says, today's salvation, the whole thing, the entirety of it, the completeness of salvation has come into your house. Did you ever receive a gift as a child 
And it was awesome, but it, it said batteries not included. Don't you just hate that Christmas morning? You've got the gift. You don't have the batteries. Jesus has not given you a gift with batteries not included. He has given you the whole thing, the whole gift, a complete salvation. What are you telling me, preacher? I'm telling you that you don't have to add to the work of Jesus on the cross. What he did, he did once and for all. It is finished. It is complete. And then, it's an increasing gift. For the Bible says that Jesus told him, today salvation has come to your house. He didn't say salvation has come to you. It had come to him, but he realizes then that this gift is not only for him, it's for his house. It's an increasing gift. Because the Bible describes the kingdom of heaven this way. It says that the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, the smallest seed sown by the sower. But when it is full grown, it's like a tree in which the birds lay their nests. Can I tell you, friend, that the gift of God, the blessing of God is an increasing blessing. I don't hear any amens. I said, I said the blessing of God is an increasing blessing. That's why, listen, that's why you're not where you were when he found you. Come on. You're not where you were where he found you. I don't think you heard me. Because you maybe have forgotten where he found you. But when you remember that he found you at the bottom of the barrel, forgotten and ignored. When he found you broken and sick and without hope. He found you addicted. He found you broke right there. He found you and he brought you up and he brought you out. He didn't leave you where he found you. Come on, somebody. It's an increasing gift. Hey, it's glory to glory to glory to glory. This year, better than last year, and next year, better than this year. Come on, somebody. It's an increasing gift. Listen, just stay standing, if you will, for a moment. He said, it's for your house. Today, salvation has come to your house, the whole place. When I was in the university, they dedicated a brand new fountain. It cost a million dollars. And the night they dedicated it, not me, but somebody that I knew. No, I didn't know the guy, actually. They bought a box of laundry detergent. And they poured it in that fountain. And you know what happens to laundry detergent when you add water and you stir it up? The suds started to build up. And by morning, it was a mountain of soap suds that was covering the building. This morning, I'm here today to tell you that that is the best picture I can think of of the ever-increasing blessing of God. It just takes over. It just takes over. So that today you can say, me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
Yeah, well, pastor, I have a rebellious child. I have a lost daughter. No, don't worry about that. You leave that to God. Me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about your house. Can serve the Lord. And finally, it's an abiding blessing. Jesus said, today, I must come stay. At your house. He wants to stay. Let me just explain to you like this. What God has started in your life is there to stay. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He's here to stay. I said hallelujah. He's here to stay. I don't care how you failed. I don't care where you've been. I don't care the mess you're in. Jesus is here to stay. I said, Jesus is here to stay. Jesus is here to stay. You don't have to worry and say, well, maybe God's going to leave me. Maybe God doesn't want me. Maybe God is going to abandon me. Can I tell you that he has come to your house to stay? It's an abiding blessing. What he's looking for in you and I, his desire. It says, yes, Lord. Whatever you have for me, I want it. And whatever is not for me, I don't want. This morning I want to make two invitations. If you would, just bow your head. Begin to pray. Just start talking to God right where you are. I want to invite those of you this morning who would say, Pastor Isaac, I don't know Jesus. I don't know salvation. But I want to. I want to know him. I want to be saved. I want to have my sins forgiven. If God loves me, preacher, I want to know his love. Today, the Bible says that if you will confess with your mouth Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. And so if that's you this morning, I'm going to do something. I'm going to ask you to come to this altar. And you might say, Pastor, that's embarrassing. I'm going to be seen, I'm going to be heard. It doesn't matter, friend. What you need is Jesus. And today he says, come out of that tree. Come out of that pew. Come out of that role. Come out of your pride. Come out of your self-sufficiency. Come to me. Let me save you. The transformation was so great in the life of Zacchaeus. That he said, I'll give away half of what I have and I'll repay the people I've defrauded. Jesus changed his heart and he wants to change your heart to this morning. And so if that's you this morning, you say, Pastor Isaac, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Would you come into this altar quickly? Don't think about it. 
Don't put it off. Don't say, I'll do it later. Right now, if the Holy Spirit is calling you, would you come? If you say, I want to know Jesus. Thank you. Anybody else? Elders, would you begin to come, please? You say, I want to be saved. I want to have what Zacchaeus had. I want the joy of Jesus to fill my life. Would you just come? Would you sing, come to the altar? As we sing, just for a moment, would you, I want to give you a moment to, to respond. Elders, would you come and pray? If you need to come to this morning, I want you to come. Now here's the second invitation. As you keep coming, the elders are going to pray with you. They're going to lead you in the sinner's prayer this morning. I want to speak to the church. Do you want to know him? Do you want him in your home? Do you want his abiding blessing? Then let's fill this altar this morning. Respond to the invitation of the Holy Spirit. Come on, just respond to the Father's love. He has what you need. He has what your soul is longing for.